Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. So Paul sent this letter to his friends in Ephesus. He lived and worked with them from a mid-AD 50s, and it's now AD 60, and he's in prison in Rome writing to them. And it's a timeless letter, and we can dig into it deeply. We can find wisdom and guidance and courage and blessing for our lives today. In fact, you could almost say it could have been written for us. Now, Paul's writing to believers, and I think most people listening to this would put themselves in that category. But if you're not, or if you're searching, or you have doubts, I hope some of the things I'm going to say today will interest or inspire you. And if they do, could you let me know afterwards, because I'd be delighted. Now, two weeks ago, Steve told us all about how the letter came to be written. And he said, through this letter, we can upgrade our identity. Don't you love that? An upgrade. And last week, Karen um, said we're chosen, given grace, redeemed, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we are in Christ. And if you haven't heard their talks, oh, please do go and listen to them. Um, they are great. <clears throat> now, my verses are from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And in the index to my study Bible, it says, prayer, that Christians may realize God's purpose and power. Now, I've got a bit of a spoiler alert here. I'm going to abandon my normal way of preaching, and I'm going to take this text and break it into four instead of three but I hope you'll be all right. I'll read through each bit of the scripture rather than reading it all at first. Speak about each bit and and say what I think God wants to say through me to you today. Now, it's not that I'm infallible, but I hope it may spark your interest and maybe even change your life just a little bit. Now, starting with the first bit of the text, thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, says Paul, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The passage starts with, for this reason. Some translations say, therefore. In the previous verses, which Karen spoke about so beautifully last week, Paul's been going on. He's been enthusing. He's been rhapsodizing even about spiritual blessings for Christians in Christ. And now from his deep, dark, smelly dungeon in Rome, he's bursting into thanksgiving and praise. He's heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for each other. And surprisingly, it's their love for each other which delights him even more than their love for God. He knows from what he's heard that the divisions 
which keep people groups apart, um, like rules for Jews and Gentiles, they're being swept away. Divisions are caused by sin when it came into the world, it started dividing people up. And now they're disappearing after the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, overcoming sin and death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying to his Father. He knows in minutes they're going to come and arrest him and he knows what's going to happen. And he's in anguish. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, Jesus asks, could this cup be taken from me? Do I have to suffer this? Not my will, but yours. And after that, in John chapter 17, he's praying for the disciples and for us. And he's saying, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Two prayers at one time in extreme anguish. Take this cup from me. May they be one. So unity among believers is pretty high up on Jesus' prayer list. So no wonder Paul's so full of happiness, thanksgiving, praise when he hears of the Ephesians' love for each other. Yay! Fabulous. And then it made me think, is this a shout-out for us to show that love and unity that's so important to Jesus? Can we foster it, nurture it, show it, use it, spread it, be known for it in this community and in all the other communities we're part of. In fact, show the world we are his disciples because we love one another. We've read that before, haven't we? Can we be creative and curious and compassionate when we meet somebody who isn't our type? Work out ways to love each other. We're all children of God even those, or maybe especially those, who aren't our type. And the real evidence of God's work in us is not the love we claim to have for him, but the love we have for each other. When we first find Jesus, or when he first finds us, we burn with love for everybody, don't we? And then it fades. Could we be intentional about getting back that first love? And now Paul turns from thanking and praising to asking. And here's the next bit. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Paul wants his people to grow. And we should want that too. Grow spiritually, not stay as babies. But let's look what Paul was asking for. The spirit of wisdom. I found this amazing definition. <clears throat> the spirit of wisdom 
or sorry, wisdom is skill in living well. Skill in living well. Don't you love it? Skill in working out and walking out your life in a manner that fits the way God has designed us fearfully and wonderfully. Living it out for his purpose for us, the call he has on our lives, and giving him and us the greatest satisfaction, fulfillment, and benefit. Wisdom. And then the spirit of revelation, to know him better, to know who God is, to know his character, his essence, his wisdom, know his love, know him. And back in the Garden of Gethsemane, John 17, 3, Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Now, don't you love Paul's prayer for the spirit of wisdom and to know God? How would it be if somebody prayed that for you? How would it be if you prayed that for somebody? But wait, there's more. Next one. Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So Paul wants the eyes of our heart to be opened, to have full understanding. One commentary I read said, too many Christian hearts have no eyes. Places where they can gain understanding. And sadly, too many Christian eyes have no hearts. Ouch. But God wants them for us. Paul wants them for us. And I think we want them for us. Now, I tried Mr. Google for an image of eyes of your heart, and some of them were frankly weird. (laughs) But I found this lovely one. Isn't that great? And... In that picture of that eye, in the eyeball, you can see the heart. And can you just see that picture we have in London reflected at the back? I like to think we can. Anyway, just a thought. Paul wants the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we know hope and riches and power. And I don't think many people are going to say no to that. But our Christian hope and riches and power are slightly different. What is our hope that God's called us to? It's a purpose for us to fulfill. A glorious future of resurrection, eternal life, freedom from sin, perfected justification, and glorious elevation. And I think Phil will be talking more about this next week. 
Now, one of my favorite verses on hope is Romans 15, 13. So I thought I could just slip it in here and I hope you like it too. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fabulous. So that was hope. Now, the riches of his glorious inheritance. If you read this quickly, you might think, God is our inheritance. How wonderful. But Paul's saying, no, no, that's not the case. What Paul's meaning here is that we are God's inheritance. We are God's inheritance. When he looks at us, we're so precious to him. He has invested so much in us. Love, wisdom, suffering, glory. Imagine the beauty and the size of God's heart that he regards us as a glorious inheritance for him and that we're worth it. Look around at God's glorious inheritance. Isn't it great? Hope, riches, and then power. Incomparably great power for those of us who have to believe. You have to believe to have the power. And it's the same great power, power that can't be measured, power enough to raise Christ from the dead. And believers, this power is ours. It says so. And Paul's praying that we know it, that we experience it. Now, reading about something and knowing it are two completely different things. Let's try pain. Reading about pain and experiencing it, completely different. If that's too painful for this morning, how about ice cream? Reading about ice cream and knowing ice cream. So much better, isn't it? And Paul is praying that we can know God. Just all that goodness. And he wants us to know this power too, to take hold of the power that God has made available to us. That extraordinary divine force by which Christ was released from death and raised to the heavenlies. It can be at work in and through us. But we do need to access it. And one devotion I love to read in the mornings is Jesus Calling. And it's written by a lady called Sarah Young. And she writes as though Jesus is speaking directly to me. So one morning during the week I read, you will get through this day one way or another. One way is to moan and groan, stumbling, mumbling, grumbling. Or, says Jesus, you can choose to walk the path of peace with me, leaning on me as much as you need, using the power God has made available as much as you need. And some days we don't need very much power, and other days we need every bit that we can get hold of. And could this knowledge give us peace, take away fear, 
Make us realize how rich we are as saved sinners. Assure us that power will never leave us. And no power in heaven or on earth can separate us from Jesus' love. This surely could be the end to all our feelings of worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness. And the message version, don't you love Eugene Peterson? Great. He finishes this section with, oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. And the final part. Eight tiny verses which pack so much punch. And here it is. Ephesians 1, the rest of 19, I'm repeating a bit, through to 23. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I, I thought this was fairly straightforward when I started looking at it, but then I just I couldn't get the words down on the page. I couldn't distill the essence to it, and I started wordily flailing around, and then I thought, no, no, I've read something. So I went back to leaning on Jesus and walking the path of peace, and this is what I came to. Power. Raising from death power. Incomparable power. And in the Gospel of John, Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power to either free you or crucify you. And Jesus replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. God has given that power from above to us believers. And he used it to raise the dead Jesus to life in the heavenlies. Now, F.F. F. Bruce is a Scottish biblical scholar born in 1910. And we like Scottish people in our house, don't we, darling? <laughs> now, he said, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, then the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. Jesus' death brought us freedom. Jesus' resurrection shows God's power over sin and death and we have eternal life. God raises Jesus, seats him in the heavenlies with complete authority over everything for all time, totally and utterly sorted. There's a crescendo of words, resurrection, glorification, dominion, and Jesus' capacity as head over all, he is head over the church. We're forever bonded with him. And we'll share his rule over all creation when he comes again. When the not yet time is over. So we're bonded to his body with him at the head. 
And it's not just the few. It's all who bow in worship. All who daily go into their rooms to pray quietly. And all of us who love him. And our job is to worship, to glorify, to spread the word about him and show the world by our lives that he is king. And also, as we said before, to be God's inheritance. And there is so much more I could say. And this is only part of one chapter of this book. So keep watching, keep learning, folks. There's more adventure to be coming. But could we have the band back? Um, and so what? And there has to be so what? Otherwise, you've kind of been amused, entertained or something. So what? And I want to highlight some points here. And this is not to make you feel guilty, because God has said, you are not guilty. But I hope they'll help us realize we have hope, riches, and power to make a difference in the way we live our lives and in what we show to others. So can we spark that joy that Paul had when he heard about the Ephesians' faith and unity and love for one another? When was the last time we reached out to somebody that we didn't know? Could it be today? Could it be every day? And if you don't know how to do it, you can ask Jesus and he'll tell you. When was the last time your heart and mind were enlightened and you knew beyond knowing when you experienced God's hope and power and that you are his glorious inheritance? And what can you do to really know it? Like, you know, pain or ice cream. And what can you do to share that? And when was the last time you knew you were blessed by the one in charge of the cosmos? Knew his unwavering power and supremacy and had unwavering confidence in him? The power of Christ is in us. There's no power shortages or power outages for Christians. And does the way we live our lives show that we know that Jesus is king. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Christ and his church are joined together in his power. His fullness is available. Let's start living like it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.